Let's turn uh, in our Bibles to Romans chapter 15. There's a subtitle on this part of the chapter, in my Bible anyway, it says, Bearing Others' Burdens. And uh, we're called to do that, and Paul speaks about that in this particular section. He says, We then, who are strong, ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, not to please ourselves, but let each of us please his neighbor for his good, leading to edification. For even Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might find hope. Now may the God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore receive one another, just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And as it is written, for this reason I will confess you, or to you, among the Gentiles, and sing to your name. And again he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all you peoples. And again Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he who shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and in him the Gentiles shall hope. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope, and that is by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Lord, we look to you this morning. We thank you, Lord, for your grace, Lord, for your kindness. We thank you, Lord, for the fact that you have received us. And Lord, you call us, as Paul tells us here, uh, to receive others in the same manner that you have received us. We want to thank you, Lord, for our redemption, Lord, for our salvation, and for that work of grace, Lord, in our lives. Lord, uh, your grace is fresh and new, your mercies this morning. And Lord, help us, we pray, to apprehend, Lord, to take hold of all the things that you would have for us. I thank you for those that are here this morning for this second service. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. Lord, uh, you remind us in these verses that you are the God of hope. And I pray that, Lord, our hopes would, would not be misplaced, but our hope would be in you, trusting you, Lord, looking to you, leaning upon you. And Father, I pray that, Lord, uh, as we have come this morning, you know each one of us so thoroughly. Lord, you know our needs, you know our hearts. You know our hurts. Lord, you know everything about us. And how we pray that, Lord, you would speak. So often you have, Lord, speaking to our need. Lord, speaking through your word, we thank you that whenever we open the Bible, Lord, your Holy Spirit is at work applying truth. Lord, ministering your, ministering your life to us. And so, Father, we pray once again as we gather that, Lord, you would be glorified, 
and that, Lord, you would speak to our lives as only you can. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, one of the things that Paul has been impressing upon us, uh, particularly as we started there in chapter 13, he's been talking about the love of God. And when you think about the love of God, I think sometimes when we think of it in a certain kind of way, how to apply it, how to express the love of God, I think, honestly, I think we have our limitations. Um, you know, we have our Christian circle sometimes. I think oftentimes, you know, we, we live in a sort of a, um, a subsect of, of the culture and society. And so, you know, it's easy to express our love to one another. But what about, you know, going beyond the boundaries, you know, going beyond uh, the everyday normal situations when God puts us in a situation where he wants us uh, to use us, in a sense, to express his love? You know, I was reading a book um, last night. It's a book I've been reading over the last couple of weeks, and one of, those, one of those kind of books that you keep wanting to pick up, even though it's a difficult book, because it was about the Holocaust. And it was written by a Jewish believer. And uh, the chapter that I started reading last night was basically on the resistance that took place in Europe in the different countries against Nazism uh, as, not, as the Nazis became basically a steamroller and just rolled over borders, took over countries, uh, and began to basically, uh, you know, oppress people. Um, and one of the things that, uh, that uh, I discovered from reading this was the resistance that took place in, in certain countries uh, as far as helping the Jews to escape, you know, the concentration camps uh, and all that other sort of thing that was taking place because, you know, they were basically going to their death. And, uh, and, and, and what I discovered was, of all the different countries, it was little Holland um, that was the most active in, in basically protecting Jews, even though not everybody in Holland did that. Uh, certainly there were those who... Um, you know, gave in to the pressure of the Nazis because of, you know, for food or a favor, whatever the case may be. Uh, but this little country, Holland, was kind of interesting. And we know stories like um, Corey Ten Boom. And, and if you've ever read the book, The Hiding Place, if you've never read that, uh, book has been out for probably a good 50 years. Uh, there was a movie about it back in the 70s produced by the Billy Graham organization. And there's been a secondary movie as well, I think within the last 10, 15 years, uh, which gives some of the other details that was taking place around the time uh, of the of the uh, Holocaust and and uh, the, the the World War II, uh, where there were other groups. There was a whole bunch of young people, uh, college age, uh, who were basically they 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 I think they referred to them as Corey's Army, and they were just sort of helping her as well uh, to you know to get the Jews you know to a place of safety and so forth. Well, what I thought was interesting, that no matter what kind of circumstance that we may find ourselves in, that God leads us to express his love and his care for people. And you and I are going to find ourselves in all kinds of circumstances and situations uh, where, where God wants to express and he'll prompt us uh, to reach out you know, beyond our borders, beyond our comfort zone. Uh, one of the things that you find out in, in, the, in the spiritual life is God wants to take us beyond uh, you know, the, the convenient life. Because a lot of times, I think we're all guilty of this. We want to do things, you know, with, you know, for God and in the spiritual life that are just simply convenient. Uh, and there's a time and a place for that. But God wants to take us beyond that. And so he'll put us in these situations where he wants to express our, you know, the love of God uh, as, he, as he basically channels it through our life, you know, ministering and reaching out uh, in situations where maybe perhaps we would not select, we would not choose, we would not put ourselves uh, because he wants to reach out and touch someone's life 
uh, you know, with His grace and with His love. The title that we chose here this morning for our message is something that perhaps if you um, know some music from back in the 60s, you'll relate to uh, the hit song of the 1960s, the mid-1960s, by a group called the Hollies. And the song was, He Ain't Heavy, He's My Brother. Uh, why did I give it this name? Okay, I'll tell you what. It's not basically what's, you know, what, what, what took place so much with the song, but there's a backstory. Um, the only reason I know this backstory is I grew up in a Catholic home, and uh, my grandmother would support an orphanage. The orphanage was out in Omaha, Nebraska. And if any of you ever heard of Boys Town, uh, it was a home, it was an orphanage for wayward boys um, and, uh, you know, orphans, wayward boys, and that sort of thing. Uh, it was started by a priest by the name of Father Flanagan back in the 1800s. Uh, it was so effective in changing lives uh, that by the time the 1930s came, uh, that Hollywood had heard about it, and uh, uh, one of the men of Metro Goldwyn Meyer, Mr. Meyer, heard about it, and he wanted to produce a movie. And actually, in 1938, and then, in, then again in 1941, uh, there was a movie produced. Um, but what I remember is from the, um, from the uh, correspondence that my grandmother used to get, uh, the letter had come, and it had a logo on it. And the logo was a, a young teenager, some, a boy around 12 or 13 years old. He had straddled on his back his little brother. Uh, and, the, and the slogan or the caption under that logo was, He ain't heavy, he's my brother. And as I thought about that in relation to our message today, you know, the idea of bearing up one another is as old as the Bible itself. You know, God calls us into this relationship with him that we are to bear up, we are to reach out, to touch those that are needy, to touch those that are weak. Uh, and God will always, it's amazing how he always, um, there are sufficient people that are always weak, they're struggling, uh, whether it be financially, spiritually, whatever the case may be, there seems to be, there's always somebody in our lives uh, that he puts them there, he places them there because he wants us to reach out by the grace of God and lift them up and minister to them uh, in their particular situation. As a matter of fact, in Galatians chapter 6, Paul writes this, bear, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And you know, we know the law of Christ is the law of love, right? And, uh, and this is how, in a sense, we, you know, we, we impact lives, you know, one you know, one person at a time. You know, I was thinking about this in, in first service. Uh, and I think it's important, too, to take the politics out of the situation that's taking place at our southern border. You know, these are hurting people. These are, you know, yeah, there may be a few bad guys in the mix. But, but I think sometimes we forget that our fair board, fair uh, forbearers, rather, uh, our predecessors, you know, they came to this country because they wanted to get away from maybe persecution, wanted to get away from poverty, wanted to get away from some kind of situation. And I don't know the answer. I, I don't know exactly the answer. But I believe that that's a situation where I believe God has brought those people. Um, and uh, somehow, uh, somehow that uh, perhaps God's going to raise up his people, the church, to minister to that you know, particular need. I think so oftentimes we look at it through political lenses, and I think we have to be very careful about that, because I know sometimes that whole situation has been exploited, and it's been used uh, in a political, you know, context. And I think, 
uh, that's tragic because it's used simply, there's, you know, poor people are simply hurting people or being used for political purposes. But, you, but it's interesting that we have all around us in the world today, we, we have needy situations, we have needy people. Uh, and when God brings that to us, when he brings that to our particular address, uh, we have to answer to that. We have to respond to that. And I like here, as we look at verse 1, uh, there's another translation, the, the um, English Standard Version, the ESV, they refer to it as. Uh, I, I, like, uh, I like that uh, instead of our particular version here where it says, the strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak. Because, you know, the word scruples is a nice word, but a lot of people don't. What, what does that mean? Um, and he's reminding us here that we are the strong. You know, sometimes, uh, you know, we may not look at ourselves as strong, but sometimes God brings people into our lives that are so weak, that are so beat up, and we look at them, and we realize how truly blessed we are, and how we handle that, how we deal with the failings, the struggles of the weak and those that are around us. And a lot of times, I think sometimes when it comes to ministering to other people, that we feel inadequate. We feel insufficient. We feel like our resources are kind of limited. Uh, and that may be true to a certain degree, but when God sometimes brings somebody, you know, into our environment, into our space and our situation, that we're realizing that it's not a, you know, uh, that, that is, we will yield ourselves and step out in faith and allow God to use us. And here's the thing that I've discovered that when, and again, you're going to find oftentimes in ministry, because um, you're all in ministry, okay? Uh, did you know that before you came in here this morning? You're all in ministry, whether you, whether you realize it or not. If we're called by Jesus Christ, we're called to be in a place where he wants to use us. That's ministry. Uh, and God is going to bring those individuals. And a lot of times we discover when it comes to ministering to other people, we feel insufficient. We feel inadequate. We, we feel perhaps maybe empty. Uh, what can I do? Uh, sometimes we look at the, you know, the financial economic pie, you know, of our lives, and we think, well, you know, it's, 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 all, it's all covered. It's all taken care of. I've got nothing to give. I've got, I got nothing uh, to really help this person. But you know what happens is when you and I respond to those situations in ministering to the weak and ministering to those that are hurting, um, that he is going to do the miracle. That's when the miracle takes place. Uh, it's not predicated upon, again, a great reservoir of whatever, whatever the, the situation may need. Again, we, we feel oftentimes, you know, we may feel in a place of deprivation ourselves, uh, whether it's, you know, economically or spiritually, whatever the case may be. You know, what, what can I do? I'm only one person. But I'll tell you what, when God brings that circumstance and situation into our life and we respond, that's when the miracle of grace is going to take place. And all of a sudden, you're going to find there's not only, you know, it's, again, it's, uh, you know, it's kind of like... Uh, the different times when Jesus fed the thousands. You know, it's like, okay, back up the trucks. We're going to feed these thousands now. Uh, and, and here's all these nice little meals. No. I mean, nobody had anything but this little boy. This little boy has his lunch. Can you imagine? It must have been funny. I, I think sometimes there, there's more humor in some of these things uh, than you realize. And here's this little boy with his lunch, and all of a sudden, all the apostles are looking at him. <laughs> what are all these strange men looking at? They're looking at his lunch. And, and, and they take this lunch and, and put it into the hands of Jesus, and it's wonderfully multiplied. See, that's what happens is when, when we, for you and I when we do that. Whether it's our life, our substance, whatever it is, when we put it into the hands of Jesus, then he multiplies it. Then he brings the blessing. Then the miracle uh, takes place. So 
uh, he's saying here that we're to bear up in a sense. Um, you know, we who are strong, uh, those who are in a weakened kind of situation. And he says here not to please ourselves. Have you ever noticed how you can't please yourself? Have you ever tried to do that? Of course you have. We all have, haven't we? We, we try to please ourselves all the time. But, we, but, but it's, a, it's a very impossible task. Have you ever had somebody in your life uh, and you tried to please that person? And it was just one of those, maybe it, may, it could have been a parent. It could have been a boss. Uh, could have been, you know, some authority over your life in some kind of way. And, you, and it was just impossible to please that person. Because why? You cannot please the flesh. Certain people you just simply can't please. Isn't it interesting, though, God says we can please him? God Almighty, we can please him. What's the Bible say about that? Uh, Hebrews chapter 11, what? We can please him what? By faith. By, by what? Trusting him. That's how we please the Lord, by just simply saying, Lord, I'm going to trust you in spite of the circumstances, in spite of, you know, w- w- you know uh, we look at the situation, we say, well, how will this work? And God says, hey, I want you to trust me and I want you to look to me. This is one of those places, too, where the Bible seems the Bible seems to contradict itself because over in Galatians 1.10, the scripture says that if I seek to please men, I cannot be a servant of Christ. But what he's talking about in the, in the context of Galatians, he's talking about when we simply try to, when we compromise, or we try to, you know, please somebody's sinful ways. You can never do that. But here's how we can simply, you know, we, we can please our neighbor in a good way. Uh, the word here, uh, please, if you go back to the root meaning in the original language, uh, it's the word arrow. It means to lift up. It means to lift up. And, of course, he uses the word there, edification, because it also means to build up. That, that, that's what God wants us to do. He wants us to sometimes lift people up. He wants to build people up. And there's something interesting that you discover in the spiritual life is that when God you know, gives a gives us an opportunity to minister, to serve somebody else, to love somebody else, all of a sudden, our problems and situations are diminished. Do you ever notice the more that we focus on ourselves, the problems, they, they loom. They get so big when we're just trying to, you know, look at ourselves, fix our problems, keep our focus on, you know, on, on some myopic thing in our life. But it's when we begin to focus by the grace of God into those situations that God has brought us into. And no, I, I don't think it's any, I think it, it, it's fantastic when God brings other people into our life to minister to and to serve. It frees us tremendously. Again, misery is, a, is when we're myopically focused upon ourselves and our own situation because you know what? In and of yourself, you are never going to be happy. Our joy, our happiness comes in Christ. It's in the Lord. The word blessed sometimes has been translated, oh, how happy. Okay? And our blessing is our focus, our relationship with him. Now, he gives us the perfect example here in verse 3, and it's always the Lord Jesus. He says, for even Christ did not please himself. Now, he's going to give us a quotation here from Psalm 69. Psalm 69 is, is, is repeated, quoted seven different times in the New Testament. And one of the things that we, we realize is uh, when you think about the New Testament believers, the early New Testament believers, all they had, the, what did the apostles have? They had the Old Testament. 
The Old Testament was very important. Don't let anybody ever talk you out of the Old Testament. Be careful. There, there's so much there. There's so many lessons. There, there, there's, so, there's such richness there. Um, and again, we have to rightly divide the Word of God, the Bible tells us. Uh, but to, don't let anybody ever talk you out of, because in some, you know, sometimes in, in, in extreme circles, um, there's, uh, they throw out, the, they throw out uh, the, um, the, the Old Testament. There's one group that they th- even throw out the, the, the epistles of Paul. And they're called the, you know, the, the Jesus-only group. And uh, be careful of extreme situations. So he said, Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. So in other words, he's saying here, uh, it's a messianic reference there in Psalm 69, that all of the reproach and the blasphemy toward God, toward God Almighty, would fall upon the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In other words, he absorbed that all for the Father's sake. Have you ever been verbally abused? Maybe for being a Christian, for your faith, and you've been you know, abused and rejected or insulted. Uh, it, 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 it's happened to me oftentimes. And I don't let it get to me because it's not so much against me. It's against my Savior. And I think... Uh, it's important that we realize that because you can kind of take that as a personal kind of slight uh, that where you get offended and, uh, you know, you get caught up sometimes in, in self-pity. Every time I go to share Jesus, you know, uh, you know, people say things that are unkind. Well, they're going to say that. And it's only by the power of the Holy Spirit that we're going to be able to deflect those things. They're going to come our way. Uh, and we see here the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ at work within our life. Uh, that's, you know... That's the only way we can absorb the pain and the suffering and the difficult things that are going to come our way. You know, there, there, are, there are, we will be, I was thinking about um, a verse of Scripture this morning, I kind of woke up with it on my mind, um, where Jesus said in John, I think chapter 16, I think it's the, at the end of the chapter, he said, in this world, you're going to have tribulation. In other words, in this world, you're going to have trials. But he said, be of good cheer. Be of good cheer because I have overcome the world. I think sometimes we do our very best, and I think we should, to escape wounding, suffering, tribulation, and that sort of thing. But you know what? There's a certain amount of that that God, for his eternal purposes, is going to allow to come our way. Because there's something that takes place within our lives when we have to go through a difficult thing, a difficult circumstance. You know, one of the things that, uh, that as I talk to people, I was just talking to somebody yesterday, and uh, he said, well, you were in Vietnam, weren't you? I said, yeah, I was. And, um, and I look back at that particular experience in my life, and it was so painful, and I remember when it came back, when it came to the point of rotation, and, and for all the guys that were over there, we would call going back to the world. It was going back to the world. We're getting out of there. And I can remember when it came to my time to rotate, it's like, wow, I'm out of this place. I made it out alive, hallelujah, kind of thing. But you know what? As I look back at it now, it was one of those difficult things. And I did. I, suffered. I had PTSD. And I, I, had it, I, I had it for years. I didn't have it as bad, I think, as a lot of guys have it. 
But I can remember as I look back and reflect on it, yeah, I had it. I had it with, you know, sometimes I would just kind of go off the rails and that sort of thing. But as I look back at that whole experience, and, and though there was some, some wounding and, and issues that took place, I would not change it. I look back now, and I realize that God used that in my life. That was part of the, that was one of the components. That was one of the components that brought me to Christ. Two days ago, uh, I opened a devotional, one of Margie's devotionals, uh, Johnny Erickson Tata. Many of you know her. Uh, she spoke uh, a couple years ago, just locally. Um, she's very well known, uh, has a number of books, a number of devotionals. Uh, we have some of her devotionals. Uh, I love her devotionals. And I've, uh, I've read through, I think, two of her devotionals. Uh, and, and I do that. I'll read through a devotional. I'll read all the way through a devotional, like for a year. And I'll put it down. I maybe pick it up. And I just picked it up. Uh, and it was for July 12th, just two days ago. And she tells the, the, she tells the story of, uh, with a great metaphor of what God did in her life. And listen to this. She says, as a child, I remember early spring and grafting time in my Uncle Don's apple orchard. My uncle would run his hand over the bark of the apple tree and finding just the right place to peel it away and make a slanting cut into the heart of the wood. He would then take a small branch and push the graft down into the damp wood of the tree. And later that spring, new life would emerge. First it would be blossoms, then buds, and then on to fruit. I have heard that one tree can bear over a hundred different kinds of apples. And again, it depends on how many different grafts you put in that one stalk of the tree. That if you put, again, if you put a, a, a branch from a, from a mutsu um, into a tree that's, uh, you know, Cortland or something, it's going to produce mutsu apples. Kind of interesting, but um, I guess that's how it works. Uh, and she goes on to say here, but it does not come without a wounding in both the tree and the branch. Years later, I would understand John Bunyan's words. Quote, conversion is not smooth. It's not an easygoing process, some men seem to think. It is a wounding work, this breaking of the hearts. But without wounding, there is also no saving. Where there is grafting, there is cutting. The graft must be let in with a wound. Heart must be set to heart, or there will be no sap from root to branch. Never would I have dreamed, she says, that as I wandered through the orchard as a little girl, sensing the Spirit's promptings to draw near, that my journey to know God would be filled with such cutting and wounding. The diving accident in which I became paralyzed was yet in the future, but it would force my wound to his wound, my heart to his heart. Years later, I would understand the lesson of the graft. The wounding is where the divine sap flows and spiritual fruit blossoms. In affliction and suffering, our hearts are pressed into his. And the life of God flows into us, wound to wound. And in those times of brokenness, remember that Christ, that in Christ, the result is life, life and more life. And I just love that story, even though it's a painful one. And certainly she has confessed, if you read any of her writings, uh, she would have never selected to, as a 17-year-old girl to dive into the Chesapeake Bay and to break her neck and to be paralyzed for the rest of her life. 
Margie was telling me a story just the other day that she went in the hospital um, and she had pneumonia. And her husband, Ken, Ken Tata, um, spent all night in the hospital with her because she's paralyzed from here down. She can't move anything. And Ken, the whole night long, would be just pressing on her chest, helping her to breathe so she would not be congested and, 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 and choke on her congestion. I thought, man, what a guy. What an incredible... And, I, and I've, I've read some of Ken's stuff. Just, man, what a faithful individual. But getting back to this wound, we've got to press our wounds to his wound. Because you know what if we don't? We isolate ourselves. We alienate ourselves. And all of a sudden, you're, all you're focused on is, why did this happen to me? You end up being bitter. You can live years in self-pity. But when we press our wound to his wound, there's the life of God. It's the graft. It's a beautiful picture. Yes, there's a wounding. There's a hurting. There, there's pain and there's suffering. But when we press in, and that's what faith does. Faith presses us in. Where our hearts are united with his hearts. With his heart. And all of a sudden, the life of God begins to flow into our life and into our situation. Yes, we're going to be hurt for Christ's sake. Can't avoid it. We do our best to. But when we get wounded, don't let that define your life. Don't let that pain, that hurt, that suffering, don't let that define your life. God wants us to move on. He wants us to grow through that. And he does something so incredibly deep within our hearts when that happens, when we trust him in that way. So uh, verse 4, and again, this is why the, the, the Old Testament is so valuable to us, that whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we, through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, might find hope. Man, there's so many principles, there's so many lessons that we can learn uh, you know, from the Scripture. I'm amazed, I sh in a sense I shouldn't be, but I'm wonderfully amazed every time uh, I just open my Bible to do my devotions. And, and I read the Psalms every day. I just read the Psalms, I go through 150 chapters, not every day, but <laughs> uh, over the course of time I'll go through the book of Psalms and I'll just start over again. And then I got other devotional reading too. And it's just amazing, no matter where I am, I open it. And God's got something. God's got some food. God's, some, God's got something, something to quench your thirst, to satisfy, to speak to you, to guide you. And I'll tell you what, we need that counsel. We need that wisdom. And I like what he says here, the patience of the comfort. Through the patience and comfort of the Scriptures, we have hope. I'll tell you what, the Bible inspires us like no other book. You can't live without hope. That, that's when people die. That's when people want to die. When, when, they, when they move out of that realm where there's no reason. Again, what is hope? Hope is expectation. When, when you don't have no expectation for, of the future, that, that's when a person gets to that point where like, well, why should I go on living? But there's a hope that comes from God. 
uh, what's it, uh, Hebrews chapter 6? Hope is what? An anchor for the soul. If you've ever been boating, you look out there and there's some boats in the lake or in the river, wherever the case may be, and they're not moving. You know why that is? They're anchored. There's, there's an anchor point. And I've noticed, you know, over the, at different times being out fishing and so forth, um, that we wouldn't anchor. And it's amazing how quickly the current or the wind can just sort of move you. One time we were crabbing off the, the coast of Maryland for some blue crabs. And uh, we were so busy with, 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 we not only had the cages that open up for the crabs, but we had hand lines as well. And we're fishing away. And we were so wrapped up in our fishing for hours that we practically drifted out of sight of land. It was like shocking when we finally looked up and realized how far we are. See, our anchor point in this world is Jesus Christ. And hope, he says, our hope in him, our hope in his grace, our hope in what he's going to do, our hope in his answering our prayers, our hope in him working in certain individuals within our life, our hope in him changing circumstances that perhaps maybe haven't changed and need to change. They haven't changed for a very long time. We need to have that anchor point or else you know what? You're just drifting along. You're just going with the current of this world. Uh, there were two early explorers. Um, one of them was Bartholomew. Um, oh, gosh, I forget his last name. Uh, he rounded the southern tip of Africa. And uh, it's where two oceans meet. The ship basically started to fall apart. He called it the Cape of Storms. And then came along another explorer some, some time later. Uh, that was Vasco uh, da Gama. Uh, he came around there. It's same water, same condition, same circumstances. But he called it, he, he named it, and the name stuck, the Cape of Good Hope. Because he was hopeful that he was going to go up the east coast of Africa uh, into the Indian Ocean. He was going to have many discoveries. And it's kind of interesting. You have two different views and two different perspectives. Same situation. Same place. And I think it's important to realize that, yes, we're going to have storms in life. We're going to face all kinds of challenges. But be careful because those things sometimes can make us negative. That's the Cape of Storms. Never want to go through there again. But as the Gama went through that water, he realized, man, this is the Cape of Good Hope. Man, what, what, what God has ahead. You see, God's got good things. You know, the Bible says in Jeremiah 29 that I have got a, fu a future and a hope for you. Now, that, that scripture has been written for roughly, for roughly 2,500 years, close to 3,000 years. And in order to activate that in your life, you know what? You've got to believe it. You've got to believe that God has got a good plan, a good purpose. Because sometimes we get stuck in the, in the, at the cape of storms. The, the challenges and the painful things and the wounding. And we have to be very careful that we don't stay there in our thinking. See, our God is a God of hope. He's got good things. Do you really expect it? You ever talk to somebody who's lost hope? And, you, and you're trying to encourage them, you're trying to exhort them, you're trying to help them. Say, no, 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 no. We can get like that sometimes. 
Again, be careful that there isn't some event in your life, some negative event. You've been wounded, you've been hurt. And, and it tends to define who you are for the future. God doesn't have that for us. God has got good for us. He's got blessings for us. He's the God of hope. Hope is an anchor, excuse me, for our soul. Now in verse 5 here, I want you to take note of what he's praying for. He says, Now may the God of uh, patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded toward one another, according to Christ Jesus, pardon me, that you may with one mind and one mouth glorify God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now he's praying here that basically that God would be glorified. That's the ultimate goal, isn't it? But I want you to notice how is that to be accomplished? How is God accomplished? How is that to be accomplished as far as you know, God being glorified in our lives, in our family, in our church? And I think what he's pointing us to here is simply by our oneness and by our unity. And see, that takes place with one another because why? We're unified with him. He's the head. We're the body. And that's why it's so important that we walk in the spirit. That's why it's important that we have, there's an intimacy, an ongoing intimacy in our relationship with Jesus Christ because he ties us in. You know, Paul spoke about it in the sense it referred to as the, having the mind of Christ. And it's so easy, I think, for us to think otherwise. I find having the mind of Christ in a more constant kind of way, it's a challenge. It's got to be something I choose. It's got to be something I want. Because the world is always trying to squeeze us into its mold. I mean, just, just when you watch the news and you watch TV, you know what they're trying to do? They're trying to basically control how you think. But we can have the mind of Christ. And again, when we are rightly related to him, there is an automatic, when we're unified with him, there's a unity that takes place on the horizontal. When there's a vertical unity, I, I've noticed... Over the years, when I'm out of sync with God, first and foremost, I'm out of sync with my wife because that's my closest personal relationship. When I'm out of sync with him, it shows, it reveals itself in the home with my wife, with my family. Then I come into church, if I'm out of sync with him, I'm not really, I just you feel that disconnection like, oh, what, what's going on here? We, see, everything flows from this. I call it the cross principle, okay? First, it's the vertical with him, and then it's the horizontal with other people. But when we're unified with him on the vertical, that's why, you know, John speaks about that, I think, in 1 John uh, chapter 1. You know, that we have, we have fellowship one with another when we, when we walk with Jesus as our relationship is, is in, a, in, the, in the right way. We have, this, we have this horizontal relationship. We're connected. All of a sudden, there's a fellowship. We're, we're, we're talking to other people. There's a meeting of the minds in the hearts and so forth. Therefore, he says, because we have a unity with him, we're glorifying him, we're honoring him. Therefore, receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God. And I think this, this, this Christian oneness is accepting and receiving others who are different from us. There's always going to be somebody other, other and different. 
Sometimes God just brings people into our lives. And when you think about all of us here this morning, if it wasn't for Jesus Christ, we would probably not know one another, maybe not even like one another. But oh, what he has done. He's he's, he's not only saved us, he's brought us together, he's made us uh, a family. And, And what I love about Jesus Christ is that he brings such a oneness sometimes into our thinking and I think we discover this most, most of the time with our spouse when we're just thinking alike. You know, I'll say something to Margie and say, well, I was just thinking that. Or she'll say something to me and I had just been thinking that. And, and there's a beautiful oneness that, that comes into our life because of our relationship with God and the working of the Holy Spirit. You know, the differences between... People today can be racial. And it doesn't even have to be racial, it can be nationality. It could be class distinctions. Think about the, the political affiliations that, that separate you know, people today. So many, and we have to be very careful as Christians that we don't allow those things to go on you know, within our lives. And this is the stuff that goes on, you know, within the culture, within the society, within the world. And when you think about how did Jesus Christ receive you and me at our worst? He received us at our worst. Worts and all. <laughs> I mean, sometimes when we think about who we're going to hang out with, who we're going to be friends with, we, we kind of look at people, we kind of compare people, we measure people. Do I want to really be this person's friend? I mean, sometimes I've been around people. It's like, I don't even want to be in their airspace. And I think God just brings these individuals within our life to to challenge us. Sometimes we, you know, among ourselves, we can be so loving and, and accepting And what I love about Jesus is, remember, he touches the leper. I mean, that blew everybody's mind. What's he doing that for? And, of course, he was accused of, he receives sinners. (laughs) I think we have to be very careful that, that we don't just live in a subculture, you know, of Christianity. I sometimes like it to the fact that the church sometimes can be like we're in this little bunker and we're looking out there at the world, you know, yeah, they're the, they're the, they're, they're the, they're the adversary, they're the opposition, you know, kind of thing. And I think we have to be careful about that because God's going to bring people into our lives and we need to receive them as Jesus Christ received us graciously. Lord, what are you doing here? <laughs> You know, the Bible teaches us that God loves a stranger. He loves a stranger. Over in Deuteronomy, he tells, he tells his people, uh, as they come out of Egypt and are about to go into the land, he says, you know what? He says, love the stranger because you were a stranger in the land of Egypt. And I think what happened to them, sometimes what happens to us, is we forget our beginnings. We forget where we came from. He says that through, through Isaiah one time. He says, he says, remember the pit from whence you came. 
Because after you know God for a certain you know, length of time, man, He lifts us up. He blesses us. He does an incredible thing in our lives. And, and yes, He's delivered us from sin. But He has not delivered us from reaching out and touching the lives of sinners. He loves strangers. God loves people. He loves people more than I love people. I don't have any problems admitting that. I know it. I'm being honest here. And I find myself praying oftentimes, Lord, I need need your love in my life. Lord, I need to love people like you love people. Now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision to the Jewish people for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to the fathers and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy as it is written. I think if you, re- if you, if you think about the early church, it was primarily comprised of Jews. I mean, even when the gospel went into Europe, there would be in situations where pretty much the whole synagogue would turn to Christ. And the majority of believers early on, they were Jewish. Remember when Jesus mentioned the G word? It was in Nazareth, I think, in his first uh, message there. And, And they're saying, oh, what gracious words that are coming out of his mouth. And then he used the example of Elijah going to the, the, to the Gentile woman in Zarephath. And man, they just, they went off the rails. They went like, woo! And they tried to kill him. And here Paul was reminding this early Jewish church, probably comprised mainly of Jewish people, that you need to be open to God bringing new people in, changing your situation, your circumstances. And again, the, the world of their day, I think, was filled with all kinds of biases. There's gender biases against women. Women were t- tremendously um, oppressed. There were you know, the racial thing between Jew and Gentile. And, and again, even the nationality thing. You come from another country. I, I was speaking to um, some of you know Slavko. Uh, he's a Macedonian. And uh, he said that uh, uh, he was once, uh, someone said, uh, someone that he knew, knew uh, had a mutual uh, acquaintance, and the other person was from Greece. And, uh, and I, certain things that we don't know about uh, some of the uh, nationality differences and problems. And he was saying he went to go meet this Greece, Greece guy, but for, because he was from a certain part of Macedonia, the, as soon as the guy found that out, he went ballistic, as if he was going to just, you know, like, really hurt him. And he just walked out of the house. And, uh, and there can be these things. There can be these differences, these biases that can be. Uh, you know, Peter had a bias. Um, remember, it was about ten, you know, Acts chapter 10. That was about 10 years after the cross when he was sent. Or Cornelius was, was basically sent to him. 
you know, the, the, uh, the, 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 the Roman centurion. And he had those issues, and God had to give him a vision. And, and you know, the Lord, he sees the things that, you know, can be in our lives that can weaken us. Some little bias, some little attitude, some little issue. And, uh, and he can put his finger on that to remove it, to deal with that, to remove it out of our lives. Now, he quotes here a number. It's called kind of stringing the pearls. Um, in verse 9, uh, 10, 11, and 12, a number of Old Testament references. And basically, they're all references to Gentiles. He says, for this reason, I will confess to you among the Gentiles, sing to your name. And again, he says, rejoice, O ye Gentiles, with this people. Ten references to Gentiles in this chapter. So he's making a point, obviously, just relative to accepting people that are different from us. And again, verse 11 uh, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, laud him, all you peoples. That's Psalm 117. Again, this is just simply the Holy Spirit through Paul highlighting God's got a plan for the Gentiles. Very difficult, you know, for, for Jewish people to handle that. And again, when you think about Paul, I mean, he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. And, and what God can do in us, you know, when he changes us, he can take us and put us in so many different opportune situations where perhaps before we would, maybe if we had a bias, oh, I'm not, I'm not going to talk to these people. I'm not going to go there. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I, I don't know why I got to go back to Vietnam. Because I don't want to. Now, I don't have any problem with the Vietnamese people. I really don't. As a matter of fact, my son is, is married to a Laotian girl. I don't have any problem with that. I just don't know why I have to go back. But I know God wants me to go back. So I'm going to be obedient. I'm going to go. I know he'll have some kind of purpose in it, something that I can't see or understand at this particular point. But I know he's got a purpose in it. And so again, Isaiah says in Isaiah chapter 11, there shall be a root of Jesse, speaking of Christ. And he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles, and him, in him, the Gentiles shall hope. And so many people will wrestle with this central truth of the Bible, that there is no hope in anyone other than Jesus Christ. That's the rub. That's the rub. Only one way, only one Savior, there's only one salvation. And people complain about that. Well, I want salvation on my terms. <laughs> well, I'm sorry. You know, the, God made the rules. There's only one Savior, only one way to get saved, only one doorway to go through. I don't want to go through that doorway. I don't like those terms. <laughs> That's how human nature is. And here's his prayer and benediction, rather, in verse 13. And now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace. And notice he says, in believing, that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. 
If you desire this morning as we speak of these things, I don't know where your hope quotient is this morning. I don't know what your circumstances are. But if you need to be filled, and whatever it may be about, I don't know, but if you need to be filled with hope in a fresh way this morning, by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want you to stand. I want to pray for you. Pray for, pray for you in closing. And you know, I said this the first service. You know, I, I, for those who stand, I really appreciate your honesty. Because you're, what you're saying is by your standing is that you're saying to the Lord, Lord, I have a need and you know what it is. And Lord, I pray that this day, I thank you for those. These souls that have stood. And Lord, you know what we need in our lives. I pray that for each one of them, you buoy them up. I pray, Father, for your encouragement. Maybe, Lord, perhaps for a fresh work of your spirit. Lord, sometimes our hope quotient is very low. Maybe we have, Lord, uh, been discouraged in many ways and, and we're not very hopeful anymore. Maybe at one time we were. But, Lord, we pray that as we look to you afresh, that you would cause deep within our hearts and our lives that fresh power of your spirit. Lord, giving us expectation. Lord, giving us hope. Lord, you promised. You promised in Jeremiah that you have a good future and you have a, Lord, you have hope, Lord, for each and every one of us. So I ask you, Father, Lord, please, I pray, for each one of these folks, fill their heart. Lord, fill their life. You know what each one of us need. We love you. We praise you. And Father, we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.